I don't think people actually get it. I think they look at us, look at a lot, and they look at a lot of junior miners as just another junior mining company. You know, they're going to go in, they're going to take my money, they're going to try to do something with it, and then move on. We are not. We are going to execute the plan. Joining us for a conversation is John Carter, the CEO of Silver Bullet Mines. Mr. Carter, welcome to the show. Thank you, Maurice. It's a pleasure being on it, and, and I'm really pleased to get an opportunity to uh, tell the people about uh, Silver Bullet and uh, what a unique opportunity it represents in the, in the junior mining space. <laughs> well, well, we're glad to have you uh, on the program to introduce Silver Bullet Mines, which is focused on developing mineral assets in the Western United States. Now, before we delve into company specifics, Mr. Carter, please introduce us to Silver Bullet Mines and the opportunity the company presents to the market. Uh, as I said, uh, Silver Bullet Mines um, represents a very unique opportunity. We have three, a three-pronged approach to uh, developing our properties. We've got near-term production. Uh, through five of our properties are actually past producers. Uh, we have a huge short, uh, resource potential, uh, and we also have the blue sky copper porphyry potential. Those are the three unique things that we've put together to make this such a unique uh, opportunity. Well, let's go on site to find out more. Sir, take us to Arizona along the prolific Arizona Silver Belt and introduce us to your flagship Black Diamond property, which hosts the past producing Buckeye Mine. Yes, uh, uh, you know, the, the Arizona Silver Belt actually extends all the way from Mexico right up through Arizona. It's quite a prolific uh, silver area. And uh, as you know, it, it's produced many, many millions of ounces. We have 4,900 acres. Um, at 232 claims and we also have three patents on our property we have five past producers the Buckeye is just one of the past producers we have you know the other four are even unique in their own aspect it's quite a an attractive area it's got great it's got a great history which we'll talk about later I'm sure and it's also got um, a, a situation where you can actually expand and move forward as you're doing because of our property size it enables us to be able to look at other areas and develop them while we're working that one specific area. In this case, starting with the Buckeye. Now, speaking of history, please provide us with the historical context on the Black Diamond property. Well, well, this is this Black Diamond uh, property is right out of the wild, wild west. It's, it's Maurice. It's a phenomenal story. It goes all the way back to the mid 1800s when um, the Indians would go and, and get the bullets, uh, get the silver from the McMorris mine and the Silver Sevens, where they'd make the bullets and shoot at the settlers as they came across the plains. It, it, it goes back to even then the, the old timers would go out there and that's where they'd go and they'd grub stake the property and they'd get the silver. They'd hired it under their, under their fires to, to keep the people from stealing it. It's, it's just like something you'd read in a, in, a, in a wild, wild west novel. It's fantastic. And then fast forward a little bit further and get into the 1900s, and um, everybody knows the story of the Lone Ranger. Franz Stryker and George Tremble wrote the book. Depends on who you're talking to, which one wrote it. But they wrote the book, The Lone Ranger. They actually went to the McMorris Mine and bought silver from the owner of the McMorris Mine, which is our property, which they then took to use in their, you know, the Lone Ranger left a silver bullet every time he did a good deed. They left a silver bullet. That silver came from our property. It's, it's uh -huh. a fantastic history. It, it actually <laughs> is kind of, 
like if you didn't know, if you didn't have all the de- documentation yourself, you'd think you were making it up. But it is a really unique history and an exciting area to be in. Hence the name Silver Bullet Mines. Now, looking Hence at the map the before us. Silver Bullet Mines. Yeah. <laughs> well, looking at the map before us, the Black Diamond property is situated in the, in the prolific Arizona belt. To truly appreciate the value proposition before us, briefly acquaint us with the region and some of your neighbors. Well, you know what, Maurice? You're in Porphyry Copper Heaven, Porphyry Copper Heaven and Silver Heaven. If you just look at our neighbors, I sit on the top of our property, uh, which I have with, uh, you know, uh, uh, several people, Bob Moriarty's and I stood there and you can look down into the Miami operation, Freeport McMoran's, uh, sorry, Freeport McMoran's Miami operation, right down into their pit. You know, we're 38 miles away from the old Dominion mine, which produced copper at 6% and silver for over 50 years. Tried to buy it back, but now it's the water supply for the city of Globe. So probably not going to have much luck there, but you can't help, you, you have to always try. We're also just down, we're another 38 miles from Grupo Mexicano's Raymine. And then of course you've got Resolution Copper, the, you know, the multi-billion dollar porphyry, and they're all our neighbors. So, you know, we're in the right uh, uh, location. Globe, Arizona, I say to people, if you took mining out of Globe, you wouldn't have enough to spell GL, let alone Globe. <laughs> it's really, you know what it is like? It's kind of like here in Canada, it's like Timmins or Sudbury. What Sudbury and Timmins are to the Canadian mining space, Globe is to the Arizona, because it's surrounded by mining. When you drive into Globe on the left-hand side, there's a head frame. Oh. So it's, it's a really, and that's what gives us such great opportunities there, because it's a town that wants and needs mining. Well, now that we know some history and know more about the region, let's get everyone up to speed on the latest developments on the Black Diamond property, beginning with the Buckeye Mine development. Well, uh, the Buckeye Mine was, you know, historically back in the 1800s and that it was part of the mine. It's on patented land, and that's why we started with the patents, because it's a little easier when you're a junior starting up to be able to work with patented property. It was last mined in the 1980s. Uh, or sorry, 1970s and the 1980s. The guys that mined it in the 70s are actually the guys right now that are underground at the Buckeye. They were there with their father in the 1970s, and they, Mike and Steve, and they were in there, and they actually mined back in the 70s. They pulled out ore that was running 250 ounces a ton. What we've done is we've gone back in, we've retimbered, we've opened it up, uh, so now we're back through into the ore body. We actually received our uh, permission. We have a, uh, an explosive license. So we now uh, have our accounts all opened up with Southwest Energy and we're waiting delivery of our first um, uh, blasting so we can get in there and blast some ore out. We've stockpiled a thousand tons of ore on the property for tune up for our plant. And we've done everything to OSHA and MSHA standard and we are ready to go mining. Now, back in November 2020, there was a NI43101 published on the Black Diamond property. Who published the 43101, and can you share some of the highlights? Oh, yes, of course. It was published by um, Pinehurst Capital One. Pinehurst Capital One was the company, the public entity that Silver Bullet took over when it became a public company. Uh, So they had to produce it, and it was done uh, by obviously by uh, some of our people that were involved included 
uh, you know, Ron Wartell um, and uh, Bob Komarotska, who's been on the property, and Steve Hughes. So they put the report together. The highlights of it are, it was basically, you know, I, I call it like a history lesson. We went through some of the historic records. Remember, we are basically confirming history is what we're doing. And that doesn't matter whether you're drilling holes, but in, in, in a past producer, it's what you're doing is going in and confirming the history. If it was there then, it still should be there now. The way the rules are set up now, we have to go in and confirm that. So that's what we're doing. So when you look at, um, at, at that situation, that's what we did. So we went back to the reports. And you can go to our website, all these reports are here, including the, uh, the, the National Incident 43-101. The owner report, which was done back in the 1980s by Arturo Ono, who's a PhD geo, and um, he went in and he did some evaluations on it and you know, came up with five million ounces just in a very small area. And so what it did is it kind of gives people a comfort level that there was something done there. You know, it, it's just kind of, again, it's verification, not just for our shareholders, but verification for us as well. Because you know, it's our reputation, it's our company that's on the line when we do this. So that's kind of the highlights of the 43-101. It was a technical report and it was very well written, you know, 285 pages, I fell asleep reading it. <laughs> well, I was involved in most of it. Well, you reference verification and confirmation, and and seeing is believing. I understand that you already have some Dory bars from the Buckeye mine. Buckeye mine, I'm sorry. Yeah. So, Morris, again, I'm a, a mineral processing guy. I'm not a big fan of going underground. I figure I'm going underground soon enough, and and that's I'm not in a big hurry to do it. But when you when it's an important part of it, just because you get you've got it there. You need to know that you you can mine it, number one, obviously, and then you need to know what you're going to get when you're finished mining it. So what we did is we went in and we cobbled together a small uh, um, uh, pilot plant, let's call it a sub-pilot plant, and we went in and we pulled the ore out, crushed it, ground it, gravitated it, and put it through, and that's where we produced 500 ounces of silver. I always keep one right here in my hand. It's always there for me to look at, and when I start to think about what everything that's going on, I just look at that silver bar and I say, okay, that's what this is all about. So what it enabled us to do is to be able to go in there and it's a kind of a miniature proof of concept. Before we go out and spent the money on the pilot plant, the big pilot plant we're building now, we needed to know that we were gonna have success. So that's what we did. And we went in and we produced 500 ounces, actually just, it's over 500 ounces. And it's, and you can see by the color, there's a lot of copper in our silver. It's, it's quite a, it was quite a unique way to look at things. Some people said you're putting the cart before the horse. No, 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 no. We are not putting the cart before the horse. We are doing it in a clear, concise manner to make sure that it works for us and it'll work as we, as we grow and move along. Speaking of that pilot plant, can you give us an update on the status? You know what? That is probably one of the most exciting things that you can see happening. How many of your, the people that you know that are involved in junior mining can actually go and watch a mill being built every day. Every day I update, I update it with new, new photographs and, and, and put it together. We are building a state-of-the-art 125 metric ton per day pilot plant. It includes two stages of crushing, screening, grinding, two state-of-the-art falcon concentrators, a Geister concentrating table, and then we're using a thickener and dewatering screws so we can use all the water and recycle the water back into the system. 
it's simple. It's not, it's not rocket science. So there's no fantastic, you know, we're taking a high technology leap here. This is plain old basic gravity recovery. We will then use that as the basis for moving forward. And right now we are on track for production, well, to start commissioning in the first quarter. Production, of course, follows right after that. Unfortunately, we got caught in some of the world supply issues, you know, the, 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 and it, it's put us behind, well, quite a bit. You know, I made a commitment to you and everybody else in, in late 2020 that we would be in production by the end of 2021. And uh, un unfortunately, you know, this supply chain issues, we're still waiting for one container. Good news is it's in the port. It's waiting a birthing schedule, so it means we will have it, and we should have it by the end of the month. But that's basically where it sits, and it's the drive for the ball mill, and it's also our thickener mechanism, dewatering screws and cyclones. So I kind of need them to make it happen. Other than that, everything is there. And I think another very important thing for everybody to know is we own everything. We own the entire, all the equipment they see on the website, we own it. Even the stuff that's sitting in the harbor at Long Beach, we own. It's ours. Uh, the tariffs have been paid. Uh, you know, the, the transportation's paid. So when it comes in, I don't have to worry about a whole bunch of bills coming. So we are pretty, I'm pretty anal about that. I want to make sure that there are no surprises. Because I think I've had enough. 25% tariff, uh, you know, on goods imported. Transportation rates off the charts. Doubled the prices of the equipment and 300% increases in things like steel. It's been an adventure. I'd well, say an adventure in Toyland, but not really. <laughs> well, in reference to the mill, we're gonna to get to your team, but I think it's good to highlight some of that, that intellectual leverage that you have. Who are some of the people behind the construction of that mill? You know, I'm a firm believer, as you well know, that it's all about the team. If you don't have a great team that can execute the plan, you're going nowhere. And I think I've used this analogy with you probably very recently that somebody asked me one time, would you rather have a great team and a good property or a fair, a fair property or a fair team and a great property? And I said, you know what? I'd rather have a great team and a, and a fair property. In our case, we have a great team and great properties. That's what makes us so unique. The guys on the ground there come from history. Our guys mining are third generation miners. I mean, they're, they've been around the block a few times. Our vice president of mining is a safety trainer as well, worked for Freeport McMoran, ran his own safety school. All those guys down there at, at the Resolution Mine were all trained by Ron Murphy for MSHA certification. All our team has been OSHA and MSHA certified. Our safety because I'm real stickler for safety, as I told you. It's not, not worth getting anybody getting hurt. Our safety guy spent 40 years working for MSHA. He's, a, he's the guy who's, and he's in charge of our safety operation. Our guy who's in, responsible for construction, he worked 25 years for Freeport, and his job was building mills for Freeport. Just to talk about our assay facility, which we have not really touched on, but we have a full assay facility. That assay facility is crushing, grinding, pulverization. We have our own furnaces. We have our own scales. We, we do everything ourselves. What that enables me to do is it enables me to get samples to Bob in the morning, and we have assay results in the afternoon. 
I'm still waiting for assay results from a, a, a one of the labs that's been three weeks now, and I'm paying double to get it so I can get it in, in, in two weeks instead of four. It's, it's crazy. But Bob Budd, he worked for major, he's a metallurgic, metallurgist, he worked for major mining companies. His last job was building the assay facility for Freeport McMoran in Indonesia. We have got people down there that, I mean, with this pandemic and everything and not being able to get down there, having these guys there is, is why I can sleep at night because we have a, a team meeting every morning. Every morning we're on the phone for an hour, hour and a half, depending on what's going on, to go over what's happening today, where we're going, because I can get my input that way. We do that every day. So I don't know what I do without my team, to be honest with you. Now, Silver Bullet Mines has a second asset to complement the Buckeye Mine, the McMorris Mine. Mr. Carter, where is the McMorris Mine in relation to the Buckeye Mine? Well, the McMorris Mine basically is over the hill. I mean, it's, it, it's about a mile on the up, there's a hill in between the Buckeye. Uh, yeah, it's about maybe a, one mile over the top. And it's, like I said, it's a, that whole area is, is mining. So as an example, well, you know that in the old days, uh, anybody went in the U.S. and Canada and the old miners, if you went out in your backyard and dug a hole, they called it a mine. That's just what it was. Everybody, I mean, that's what they did. You go and look at what we've got. The McMorris mine has a 700-foot shaft, levels every 150 feet down. Two miles away, a long strike, there's the McClellan mine, 250-foot shaft. Then next to that, we've got the Silver Sevens, the Helena Palata. We've got 74 adits on the property. They were direct shipping out of the Silver Sevens mine by mule chain train to San Francisco to the smelter. That's how high grade this is. I've gone into the dumps there and pulled out balls of wire silver, which is you know silver that's been injected into a conglomerate or whatever the geologists call it. And it, it's like a brillo pad of silver. It's, it's all over the place. Even look at our next door neighbor. You know, uh, they've got, they show pictures on their website of, of chunks of silver that they found on the ground. We've, we've got all of that. I mean, this is, this is not just a one trick pony. We've got a substantial potential for a major resource. Now, besides the location, what is it about the McMorris mine that has silver bullet mines excited? Well, the grades, the grades are off the charts as you can see something from some of the numbers and then the copper values we're getting in there as well. We're getting pretty substantial copper numbers. I mean, it's, it's exciting because the infrastructure's there and of course the infrastructure's close as well. You know, having globe next door to you. Now, before we leave Arizona and you just touched on it, blue sky potential regarding copper, what can you share with us? Well, we were out doing, we've done a thousand soil samples on a property where we found significant malachite on the ground. So we went in and we've done over a thousand soil samples. Some of them were as high as 10 ounces of silver and over 1% copper in the soils. We did grab samples that were running as high as 7.5% copper in the float. So we are pretty intrigued by it. I know it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to say. We are intrigued by the fact that we have such a large area of such high concentrations of copper and silver, which is kind of like around the peripheral, around the, the, you know, around the top of it, you get the high-grade silver, and then in the middle, you get the, the copper. Now, we're a long way. That's a lot of work to get to that one there. We have two NDAs signed with majors that are helping us advance it, 
but we're not quite where we can do that yet. We've got to go in and finish the work. But imagine if we actually have a porphyry there. I mean, it is, you're in porphyry heaven. I mean, I look down into a pit right now and, and there's another one 16 miles away and another one 30 miles away. So, and, and, and the trend is that they do travel in, in herds or whatever you want to call it, a gaggle of, of uh, porphyry coppers. And, and we feel fairly comfortable that we have it there. As a matter of fact, one of the majors who's helping us asked me, he said, John, uh, are you downwind of a smelter? These grades are, these grades are phenomenal. I said, no, we're actually upwind. And he said, wow. And they went in and did some work and sent us the assays and said, you got to see these numbers. So something's going on down there. I'm not going to say it's a porphyry because I have no idea. But we've got something really significant may well be happening there. Now, before we leave the Buckeye and the McMorris mine, what are the goals here this year? And, and besides the pilot plant, what work is being conducted? Well, the next step for us now is to get the pilot plant up and running, which is a, you know, it's a big step get the mine operating at its rated capacity, which we'll be doing in the first quarter. Uh, and then we're, we're in the permitting process on the McMorris and the Silver Sevens. Uh, we've already got our archeological study done. We've done, we actually have a drill permit that we're modifying. So, you know, and that'll, that'll take us probably the rest of the year to get that done. So we're, our, our goals are to get this pilot plant up and running and, and then get advance the permitting process on the other side and start to build towards the resource and find out see if we can move along a little further on the porphyry leaving arizona let's visit idaho onto silver bullets recent acquisition of the washington mine sir introduce us to the washington mine uh thank you um tell you what the washington mine is a diamond in the rough it's it's got again incredible history and to give you a little bit of that history, in 2000, well, let me talk about how I got it. In 2016, our geo, our chief geologist, uh, Nick Barr, who's been in the area, Idaho, New Mexico, California, Arizona, for probably 40 to 50 years. And Nick told me about this property, and I said, well, let's, let's go have a look at it and see if we can pick it up. So we went to the owner at that time and said, okay, we'd be interested in buying your property from you. And, uh, he said, yeah, I'd be willing to sell it. He said, okay, how much? He says, $5 million and a 5% NSR. Well, you know what? You don't get scared by the five, $5 million because you do it over option. You give them 100000 and then pay it over time. The 5% NSR makes it virtually impossible to finance. It's just, it's just off the charts from an NSR standpoint. And he didn't even want to buy down on it. So he said, thank you very much. Sorry. Fast forward to 2020. Uh, we get a call, or Nick gets a call from the family. Uh, the gentleman had passed away. Now he was in his at that time he was probably in his he was in his 80s, so he could even have been in his 90s. And they said they just wanted to sell the property. So we got a price. I couldn't believe it. We said done. We'll take it. Ten days later, we closed. We own the property. It's private property. We own the timber rights. We own the mining rights. We we, we can go in and build a house on it. It's it's our property the mine site and the mill site. So that really made it an exciting acquisition for us because we were enabled now to go in and, and start doing that. So let's go back to the history. Back in the 1890s, it was a gold mine. Remember, the area we're in outside of Boise is the most prolific placer gold area in Idaho. It's, it's a very high grade gold property. This property back in the 1890s 
was being mined at one ounce per ton gold. One ounce. Everything else was left behind. They came, when they were mining, they came to the silver zone. But at the time, they didn't have the technology to process the silver. Because it is a little different, as you know. Mm-hmm. So they set it aside with the idea of coming back in and mining it in the future. So now we move up to the 1930s. They built a plant to go back in and take out the silver. Of course, what happens? Silver goes down, I think it was four cents a pound or four cents an ounce or whatever it was, 40 cents an ounce. And of course, it just sat there until eventually just got dismantled. But back in those days, they had estimated three to four million ounces of silver at 30 to 90 ounces a ton. And you're going, wow, that, that's that's incredible. So what we did is followed along, and then we went in and found a report where Mr. Um, the guy we bought the property from, he went in and did a bulk sample back in the 1980s, shipped it to Hecla for processing, and it came back 44 ounces a ton. Okay, another confirmation for us. So what we've done now is we've gone in this past summer, cleared the land, cleared the top, opened the vein, identified all the different parts that we were looking for, the moving parts, we'll call it. And what we found is not only the area where the the high-grade silver is, we also found the parallel zone with the high-high-grade silver and also the extension of the gold zone that that they were mining in the past. Not only that, but there's another zone that is running parallel to that whole structure which we have now identified at surface. So not only do we have a really high potential of 44 ounce per ton, three to four million ounces, we also have the gold zone, which according to history, there was about 15,000 ounces in there running about 10 grams per ton. And there's also the high, high grade silver, which is running 150 to 300 ounces per ton. So we've gone in now and we've taken a a lot of samples, as you can see from our last press release. We have just completed a blended sample where we've gone into all the areas that Mr. Weatherby took his samples from for his bulk sample, and now we're doing our own blended sample. And we're hoping, we're waiting for assays to come back on that, so that will be probably released in the next couple of weeks. But we are excited by it. We've shipped ore down to our own processing facility in Arizona to test. So we're pretty confident we're doing all the right steps. We've got a huge potential. I mean, it is significant. It's a little sleeper that could turn out to be something really quite special. Well, we look forward to hearing now the uh, latest press release here in the coming weeks from the Washington Mine. Now, leaving the property bank, let's discuss some important topics germane to the projects. You referenced that all of your uh, equipment is 100% owned. What about your projects? Oh, our, our projects, of course. Other than the one 15-acre patented claim, we own everything outright. We do not have ENSRs. We do not have any property, uh, no, sorry, any option payments to make to owners. Uh, as long as we pay our taxes every year, which is $165 per claim, uh, and our, our prop- private property taxes, as in our property up in Idaho, and oh yeah, I forgot to mention, we, the, where the mill is located, we bought the private property, we own it. So we don't have any commitments to make, as they say, other than on the patent, which is a lease. Are you fully permitted? Um, for what we're doing, yes. We still have permits to get for, like, as I said, on the <laughs> other side, for the McMorris, Silver Sevens, 
Last week we got our we actually got our road road upgrade permit, which you might have seen in the pictures on the website yesterday of the road being upgraded. <clears throat> Believe it or not, that's one of the hardest things to do. Um, you know, and we got our explosive permit. So yes, for what we're doing now, we're fully permitted. What we're doing in the future, we're working on the permits. And as I say, we've taken all the necessary steps from ARC studies to being on the ground with the, with the inspectors to make sure that we're moving it forward. We take that very serious. And you're also in, in the, the best mining jurisdictions, basically, in, in the oh, world. So oh. permitting shouldn't be an issue. It, it... It's, it's mining central. Like I told you, <laughs> yeah. you, take, you take the mining out of globe and you don't have enough letters to spell globe. I mean, it's... <laughs> It, it is all about mining. Now, is there any relationship that you have with First Nations or Native Americans on your projects? Uh, no, we don't have, well, unlike Canada, we have no issues with First Nations uh, situations. We're next to the Apache reservation. As a matter of fact, we stay, when we go to the, um, when we go down there, I stay at the, they have a casino and a hotel. Uh, I don't go to the casino, but I do, I, I do stay at the hotel there, and they're, they're really quite a, they're quite a progressive group. I, I really enjoy the time there. They have a golf course and a, a small airport. <clears throat> They're really quite a progressive nation. We've discussed the good. Let's address the bad. What can go wrong, and what are your action plans to mitigate that wrong? You know, last year this time, uh, Maurice, I would have said, ah, nothing can go wrong. We got everything under control. Boy, was I wrong. I guess what could go wrong further... I, you know, the boat sinks in the harbor. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's in the harbor, thank goodness, right? Uh, something goes wrong where it can't be offloaded. I, I can't do anything about that. Uh, other than that, we're, we're full, full speed ahead with what we're doing. Uh, I suppose the price of silver could drop, but it would have to drop a long way to really hurt us because, you know, we're, we're such a low-cost producer. And, you know, the market can change, but, I mean, you know what? There's... I think my team, our team, has the capability to handle anything that's thrown at it. And we've had many things thrown at it. As I said, when we were doing the pad for our pilot plant, we had a quote initially of $78,000. When we went back, got everything done, when we finally went ahead to get it, the price went from seventy-eight dollars to $258,000. And you're going, but, but, but. So our guy said, to heck with that. They went out, we got the forms, we did it all ourselves, we rented the equipment, we brought the cement in, we poured it ourselves, and we did it all for less than $100,000. Our team can handle all the issues that come along that we can control. Mining, milling, I can't control the outside issues, market conditions, prices, silver, you know, supply chain issues, that I can't do. But other than that, I sleep pretty good at night because I know we're well covered with our team. Speaking of your team, let's discuss the people responsible for increasing shareholder value. Mr. Carter, please introduce us to your board of directors and what skill sets they bring to Silver Bullet Mines. Um, yeah, I've got a great board of directors. I mean, I've got a lot of talent. We've got a lot of corporate governance. Um, I'll start off with our chairman of the board, uh, Burks Bovaird. Burks is a professional you know, a, a director. That's that's what he does. He manages us, and he keeps us keeps us on a straight and narrow. He's also on the board of a New York stock exchange company. So we've got significant exposure to how to handle the company as we move it onto the OTCQB. So, Burks, and he's a he's a senior 
um, uh, engineer and, and, and had been in the industry for many years. Uh, we move on to Ron Wartell. Ron uh, is a, um, a, a geological engineer, and he he's part of he was part of the founding group of the company. Um, he provides a lot of insight. He he's been involved in them in the other side of the industry for many years, so he's got a lot of experience. Peter Clausey. Peter is a lawyer. He's a corporate governance guru. He's there to keep keep us on the straight and narrow. Ron Murphy, as I told you, who's our vice president of mining. Ron is a senior mining expert, third generation miner. He and his brother, Dan, have been underground in mines all over the world, like all over the world. Eric Ballog, Eric is a corporate um, strategist, if you will. He does a lot of work for investor relations companies. He, he actually introduces us to people He's, he's young and, and, and he you know, wants to get something done. He wants to move forward. And that's basically our board. Well, who is John Carter and what makes him oh. qualified for the task at hand? Well, you know what? I ran, I ran my own company for well over 30 years. Uh, had three plants at one time, you know, 65 employees in one and owned it myself and my partner. And um, my mother was my, um, was my accountant. And believe it or not, when your mother comes to you and says, hey, John, you're out of money, you're actually out of money. <laughs> and my guys always knew when we were out of money, because in the mining business, you're either full tilt boogie or trying to figure out what to do next. My guys always knew when we were out of money because John came to work with a suit on. That meant he was heading to the bank. So I've been through it all with it. We've exported, we built over 200 mills. We exported to over 40 countries in those years. We're well respected and from that teaches you the, the value of a dollar. I see so many juniors that spend money like water and I'm not like that. Every dollar counts. We don't make, our guys don't get paid billions of dollars a year. We get paid for what we do. And I believe that the ultimate benefit that we're gonna have from this is when we're successful, no, not if we're successful, when we're successful, we'll be rewarded by the valuations we're going to get in our stock price. That's where the value comes from. And so I strongly believe that you watch, like my mother always said, you watch the pennies and the, doc, and the dollars will take care of themselves. I believe that. That's what we do. We run a tight ship. <laughs> well said. Let's get into some numbers. Sir, please provide the capital structure for Silver Bullet Mines. Okay, right now we have 50, I'll just give you approximate. I mean, I, I, won't, I can get down to the fine details. We have approximately 55 million shares outstanding. Uh, of those 55 million shares, about 29 million of them are escrowed. Management owns about 30% of those. Uh, we, we're under the escrow, and you can look at our, our press release when we went public, the escrow provisions over the next three years. Uh, we have a very tight, strong management, uh, sorry, shareholder base. Um, I think we've got people who believe in us. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to get a lot of guys trading on pennies and stuff like that. There's nothing we can do about this. But I think that what I see for our market cap and what our comps are and what other people doing what we're doing are, we've got a lot of room for improvement. We're a 15 to $20 million market cap, depending on what time of the day you look at the market. That's all we are. Look at most of our peers. They're in the 30, 50, 60, 90 million market cap. The biggest killer for junior mining 
And that's why we're trying to change junior mining. By generating free cash flow, by putting that little plant in and generating some revenue, that's money we don't have to go back and borrow from the market. I know you're doing equity, but you're basically borrowing it from the market to keep advancing. If you're successful, you can continue to do that. But then the market is market's very fickle. Tomorrow, the market might change. It, it might all disappear like it did when marijuana came along. All of a sudden, everybody went into marijuana. Nobody cared about mining. So what we have to do is we have to mitigate that risk of having to go back. How many times we did a 30 cent financing? Our financing was done at 30 cents. Our stock's at 36 or yesterday, and but our, we started at 30 cents. If we didn't do what we were doing and the market changed, next financing we'd be doing at 10 cents or what, whatever the number is, it's irrelevant. Then next thing you know, you got 200 million shares outstanding. Next thing you know, you're consolidating the stock. Poor shareholders get screwed again. It seems to be almost the way it is. By us going in and generating the revenue, whatever that number is, let's say it's $5 million, $10 million, $3 million, whatever that number is, that's number money we don't have to borrow from the market. That's money we can advance our projects with so we don't have to go and do these you know, 10 cent deals where next thing you know, you get a million dollars, you put out 10 million shares and your shareholders are getting diluted. So what we're gonna try to do, I'm not saying we're not gonna be doing other financings in the future because opportunity comes along. You have to, you have to work within the bounds that you've got. Um, but what I am saying is we're gonna to try to mitigate the amount of dilution that our shareholders have to suffer as we build this company up. And that's what we're doing. We're gonna build a company. I said to a friend of mine the other day, he just spent about $3 million, two and a half, $3 million drilling a property. And you know, his results were so-so, let's call it. I, you know, I, he, he really didn't go beyond that. So I'm assuming so-so. And I said, but at the end of the day, did you own your drill, the drill? He said, are you kidding me? I said, no, I was just checking. At the end of the day with us, no matter what happens, we own a mill. We own the property. Like I said, we can in in the Washington mine, we can go build a chalet up in the in the mountains. I mean, it's. I think we're doing it a little different. We're actually we're actually building a company. I liken it not to a mining company or sorry, a exploration company. We're actually building a company like you would do anywhere, bricks and mortar, generate revenue, generate profit, put that profit back in to build your business. That's exactly what we're doing. I admire the business acumen, and that's exactly why I participated in the financing last year. Proud shareholder right here, folks. Uh, how much cash and cash equivalents do you have? Well, right now, uh, we're at about, uh, at the end of uh, December, we were at $993,000 still in, 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 in our cash. Um, that, and we don't have any debt, so that's what we've got. We've got about, a, let's say, approximately a million dollars left. But that- we've also paid for 99% of everything. So right now it's get it going. And what is the burn rate? Our burn rate is fairly low in, you know, from a capital running the company. It's about $40,000 a month. That's everything. And then of course, right now we've got all our contractors working. So it'll go up while we're building the plant. It is higher. Who are some of the major shareholders? Well, other than ourselves, we have a group out of New York that uh, probably owns about um, about three and a half million shares. Our group owns 30 million shares. And of course we have great, some of your people that came in who really loved the story and, and bought into it. They're significant shareholders as well. 
And I plan on exercising my warrants. Uh, again, I, I'm a fervent believer here in the value proposition before us. In closing, sir, what would you like to say to shareholders? Well, first off, um, I would like to thank you very much, Maurice, for your support and for giving me the opportunity to get out there and, 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 and start and, and tell this story so the world understands what this is about. I don't think people actually get it. I think they look at us, look at a lot, and they look at a lot of junior miners as just another junior mining company. You know, they're going to go in, they're going to take my money, they're going to try to do something with it and then move on. We're not. We are going to execute the plan. Our plan is clear. It's never changed. Ten years ago when I bought this property, initially, it, actually 11 years ago, and there when I was with Bob Moriarty back in 2010, and we stood on the property and Bob told me that, he said, John, I believe that you've got three company makers here. Never let it go. I've never let that, I've never let that go out of the back of my mind as we move through the iterations that it takes to get to where we are today. Uh, I'm, I'm not a fool about sometimes you got to fold them, sometimes hold them, whatever that song is by Kenny Rogers. But I do know when you get the right opportunity and the right people in equal proportions, right properties and the right people, now you've got a, a success potential that is, is off the charts. You know what they say, one in a, one in a hundred junior grassroots go to advanced X of those one in a hundred go to feasibility of those one in a hundred go to production. I'm trying to eliminate the first three of those one in a hundred <laughs> and do it the way they did it back in the forties and fifties. You know, it's an interesting thing the way mining has changed over the years. Back in the forties and fifties, I would be willing to bet Colorado, Montana, Idaho, Arizona, Nevada, California, New Mexico, there was probably a thousand mile, mines in that area, a thousand mines, all producing 100 tons a day, 200 tons a day, 300 tons a day, and, and doing very, fairly well with it. That all changed when it evolved and you had to have a million ounces and you had to spend a billion dollars. What I'm saying is, I think if we want to bring, you know, make America great again and bring things back to America, where do you start? You've got to start where it all starts. Because remember, if you don't mine it, you grow it. We mine it. We have to bring that back. That's the way you start to build things back up again. I think the opportunity for that is here right now, right now in right place. And we're in the right kind of market, this new wave of, um, uh, of electric vehicles and that that's come over the world <clears throat> um, has, it is, is into a situation now where silver, copper, nickel, all these materials are just going to, they're going to go through the roof. Now, can they go to what people are saying? Uh, I've been hearing $5,000 an ounce gold and $100 an ounce silver for the last five years. And you know what? Just do it so you can make money. If it goes up more, you make more money. But I think we can rejuvenate the junior mining space by doing it this way. Am I right? Am I wrong? I don't know. You know what? Time is going to tell. And if I'm wrong, well, you know what? At least we're trying to think outside the box. You've got to think outside the box in our business. Otherwise, you're just one of a number. What we need to do is differentiate ourselves from the rest. And we need to go out and we need to create a plan and execute that plan and, and get our job done. That's all, that's all we need to do here. And I think it sounds simple. It's not. But I, I know we can do it. If anybody can do it, we can do it. Well, I have full confidence that you will 
get it right. Mr. Carter, for someone that wants to learn more about Silver Bullet Mines, please share the contact details. I think, like I said earlier in the, in, in the conversation, if you want to actually watch a mill being built, go to www.silverbulletmines.com or even simpler than that, if you want to just follow us along on Twitter at Bullet Mines, that's the at symbol, Bullet Mines, you can follow it along. You can contact me or Peter Clousey anytime. Uh, um, you know, I'm John Carter at silverbulletmines.com. Peter's P. Clousey at silverbulletmines.com. Our numbers are on the website. I'm, I only work on days with a Y, so you can call me anytime, as you well know, Maurice. <laughs> yes, sir. And, and, um, and I'd be more than happy to share more details. Criticisms, I'm, I, I'm okay. I mean, if we're doing something wrong or there's a better mousetrap, I'll look at anything. I really want this to be special. And that's why we're looking at alternate forms of uh, you know, power and things like that, where we're looking at green technologies. I'm a big proponent, proponent and believer in those kind of things. So I think we've got an opportunity here to be really special. Mr. Carter, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Wishing you and Silver Bullet Mines the absolute best, sir. And again, thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to listen to the ramblings of an old man. <laughs> well, my pleasure, sir. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. The information presented on Proven and Probable is provided for educational and informational purposes only, without any express or implied warranty of any kind, including warranties of accuracy, completeness, or fitness for any particular purpose. The information is not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice, or any other advice. You should not make any financial, investment, or trading decision based on any of the information presented without first undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional broker or competent financial advisor.